Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to to speak with me. I would just love to start with uh, your story. You know, for listeners who are not yet familiar with your work, will you tell us a bit about your life and sort of how you became a doctor and how that led to these incredible books? Okay, well, if you're going to go to the beginning, (laughs) I was born September 29th, 1927. My parents had two beautiful girls, Magda. She played the piano, Clara, who played the violin. She was a child prodigy and violin. And my parents were expecting a boy at family so I could be uh, comfortable being alone. And uh, it was really preparing me when nothing came from the outside. And I was able to be equipped with my inner resources. And today I say to people that uh, the opposite of depression is expression and to be able to really uh, see if you have any feelings and thoughts to be able to get it out because what comes out of your body will never make you ill. What stays in there does. So if you have a secret, share it. And in Texas, I think people are very good at sharing. (laughs) And uh, yeah, Texas, we have very good people, very much caring about uh, other than themselves. So I'm very honored to speak to Texas. Yes. And and so I uh, also want to tell you that I became cross-eyed when I was three years old, and my two sisters blindfolded me when they took me for a walk because they didn't want anyone to see what an ugly sister they have. And uh, exactly, I can still sing the song to you uh, that I'm so ugly and puny and I'm never going to find a husband. The trouble was that I believed my sisters. So today I tell young people, don't allow anybody to define who you are. You're beautiful because God doesn't make junk. You know, (laughs) you're beautiful just the way you are. So I'm very much uh, uh, encouraging everyone to celebrate their specialness and preciousness and one of a kindness. You're unique. There'll never be another you. I just want to tell you that my mom looked at me very seriously and she said, I'm glad that you have brains because you have no looks. And I think that is very important for everyone to really see what kind of messages they're still carrying with them because 
I know that uh, I don't have time to be angry at my mother. Uh, actually, I became a very highly educated, uh, brilliant, actually, uh, scholar. And that's why my name is Dr. Edith Eva Eager. So not to really allow anyone to define who you are because you're one of a kind diamond. Can I ask, because I love something you said earlier that I think is so important, especially for women who are listening, yeah. is this idea that it's not what you express that makes you sick, yeah. it's what you keep in. So can yeah. we talk about that for a minute? Because I think that yes. the older I get, the more I understand that even if I'm not thinking about something, my body is still holding that tension, holding it in my back, holding it in stress. So can you talk to our female listeners about that? That means you're not congruent. You're not clicking well with your body and your mind and your spirit. And that's what you want. You want congruency and listening to your inner voice, listening to your self-dialogue. So when you get up in the morning, you say, um, Rachel, I love you, I honor you, and we're going to decide what kind of a day we're going to have, that you take complete charge of your thinking, feeling, and your behavior. None of the positive thinking does any good unless it's followed with a positive action. See, so that's why I tell people, especially mommies who tell you, Rachel, you're such a beautiful girl, but you're a little fat and a little pimply. So you see, you cancel everything before the but. I say, give me the but, I give you an and. Yes, and furthermore, so that we, we really are able to say anything. But before we do, ask ourselves, is it kind? Is it empowering someone or depleting? And if it's not done, don't say it. I practice it with my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, that they see me as not a yes but person, but a yes and person. So I think that is difficult to really do sometimes. Well, and this idea of being able to express yourself how do how do you do that if it's not how you were raised? You know, I was raised in Southern culture, which said that, you know, little girls should be pretty and we should be seen. We should not be heard. We, you know, do what sort of pleases everybody. And I was don't speak until right. the, yeah. Yes. So if you're if that's something that you're struggling with, yeah, how do you how do you overcome it? Well, you know, you ask yourself two very simple questions. What am I doing now? And secondly, is it working? You know, is it getting me where I want to go? And if it's not, you can rewrite your script. You know, it's not the Ten Commandments written in, in, yeah, in the wall. And you can just say and pick and choose the kind of things that would be your, your way of life because we give up our true self early on. We become the responsible one, the funny one, you know, just like Shakespeare put you kind of on a stage and they give you, and you give up your genuine Rachel girl. And you want to reclaim that. 
I needed to go back to Auschwitz to reclaim my innocence and assign mm-hmm. the shame and the guilt to the perpetrator because there is no forgiveness without rage. You got to go through the rage. Well, and not talk to, to me about talk it. to me about that because I I have some people in my life that I feel like I can't I, I really struggle to truly forgive. I basically only feel the rage. So can you well, tell you me? Know, I, I look at forgiveness in a very different way. I am very biased on one word, freedom. If you don't forgive, you don't have freedom. So give yourself a gift because in the Bible it says you go through the valley of the shadow of death. So if you are in a dark tunnel, you look for the light, you know, that you want your freedom. So it's not that you're such a good person, you forgive for what they did to you. It's not that at all. We don't have godly powers to forgive, but you can forgive you for putting judgment on another person. Well, wait, okay, explain That's that, you explain that to it. me, because I love that. So well, I, I explain it to you because I speak at churches, so in church I talk about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm, I talk about the poor little Jewish boy who became the prophet, and, and three things I mention. One is, love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, if you don't love you, then why should I love you? Yes. If you, if you don't like to be with you Saturday night, why should I want to be with you? So everything starts, we come to this world alone and we die alone. And so do you live a lifestyle? That means to have really passion and joy and love and purpose in your life. Lots of peace. Lots of peace. So for that, you have to give up perfectionism because we're human. We're fallible, we make mistakes, and accept yourself. You know, it takes courage to be average. It takes courage not to make an A-plus in school all the time. I ask people, when you give up something, you have to replace it with something else. I usually tell people that I began to drive a car when I was 17 in Czechoslovakia, and I had a stick shift, and you may not know such a car. I do. But, but, they, but it starts to talk to you when you have to switch gears. Mm-hmm. But if I switch gears, I have to release the clutch. So you can not change anything unless you replace it with something else. And change is synonymous with growth. Yet we go back and do the same thing. Uh, The other thing I appreciate about Jesus is that he knew how to talk to people on their level. So if I see a child in my city uh, going to the Balboa Park and and standing at the tree and crying, I'm not going to ask, why do you cry? And I don't get into that, but I get down to the child's level and speak the language of an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old. I don't tell her about cognitive dissonance because I meet that child and speak the language where they are and I teach compassion at listening and empathy, which is different from sympathy. Sympathy means, you know, 
it's very different thing. But empathy means I crawl under your skin and be there with you and keep that feeling. And the way you do that, it sounds like you're sad about that. Instead of trying to figure it out. Men always want to figure things out. Men want to understand everything. And I go down and I say, sounds like you said about it. So I, I take you to the feeling level because you cannot heal what you don't feel. And there is no healing without grieving. And you cry. You cry and you cry and you cry. And you know, one day, two o'clock in the morning, you say, enough. And not say, why me, but what now? And the biggest concentration camp is right in your own mind. So think about your thinking. Now, the last thing I'm going to say, that when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, I thought that was really brilliantly said not to go back and do the same thing continuously and expecting different results, but you look at the same thing from a different perspective. And that's why the word opportunity to me means a great deal because everything in life is an opportunity to discover our inner resources and look at the same thing from a different perspective. I'm curious, I've done a lot of work recently in therapy, thinking about myself at younger ages and how much um, pain or trauma I carry from different ages in my life and really allowing myself to imagine that little girl, to imagine the six-year-old, to imagine the 14-year-old and so on. Is that um, a part of your own journey as well? Sort of rethinking, like you talked about, having to forgive your perpetrators. What does that look like for you? And is that something that as a doctor was part of your process in helping people heal? Um, you cannot really teach anything to anyone unless they're willing to learn. I think that's very important. Uh, what is also very important that people trigger feelings in me and then I become my own observer of myself, that you see that, that I'm still here to listen to you compassionately, but I'm not gonna tell you, oh, I suffered so much, no. But I think it's very good to detach and look at yourself from that person's perspective that you're observing yourself. And actually the most obnoxious person will become your best teacher. And what you don't like in them, you better look at that in you. There is a Hitler in every one of us. There is goodness and kindness and God gave us which one are we going to choose? That's why my book is called The Choice, because the more choices you have, the less you feel like a victim. I was victimized. It's not who I am. Your being is not your doing. You have to be very careful that I, I was victimized, but it's not who I am. It's not my identity. How did you learn to make the choice about how you saw yourself? I have a great imagination and I decided in Auschwitz that I was innocent and they were 
the prisoners. And I think my loving God was guiding me to look at the guards. Uh, they wearing the uniforms and they're killing children and, and pushing people in a, in a gas chamber. That they're the ones who are going to really pay the price. So I didn't allow them. I didn't allow them to touch my, my spirit. And that's what I am asking people to really take back your power, but you gotta go through the anger and not to think that anger is what it's all about. Anger, anger has to do with a lot of other emotions that is underneath the anger. There is a lot of, of other emotions in there. People tell me I have an anxiety attack. Nobody's attacking, there is no attack, you just, you're thinking anxiously and you want to really acknowledge that uh, it's very difficult to go through that anger and not to get stuck in there. So it's, it's hard work and especially in America, especially young people, they want everything easy and they want it now. Then I don't want to wait for anything, right? They, they want to buy the Christmas present in July rather than waiting for something. So what you learn really in everything in life is patience and realize some things just come slow. And that's why I beg people, don't marry your hot lover, marry your best friend. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome. Tell me if I'm wrong. The... Last book was The Choice, and then is the new book yeah. The Gift? The Gift. Oh, so will it's you tell going us about to be that? a self-help book. Okay. You're going to like it. It's very practical. Love Any it. eight-year-old can read it. And one of the questions I ask, actually two questions, when did your childhood end? See, if you're a child or a survivor, your child will teach you how to speak English. Your child will, as my little girl was two years old, she introduced me to peanut butter. She brought me a book called Chicken Little, Ducky Lucky, Goosey Lucy. I didn't know Goosey from Lucy. And, you know, I don't know whether you're coming from immigrant parents, um, but I think it's very important to ask, when did my childhood end? That is such a powerful question. It is, is a very powerful, powerful question. question because we grieve over not what happened, but what didn't happen. Yes. Let me give you an example of that. When my granddaughter was born, Lindsay, the pediatrician examined her and said, this little girl is very flexible. She might become a ballerina. So I said to the doctor, that's great. I can die now because my blood is going to be in, in, in my granddaughter. Well, I was lucky not only that she survived, but she also became a ballerina. And I saw the Nutcracker Suite 200 times. She was, she was a little, a little pot. Uh, and then she went under the skirt. And anyway, when she was in high school, 
wonderful school called the Bishop School in La Jolla. She asked me to buy her a dress so she can go to a dance. And I am a big sucker. I buy her the most beautiful, uh, I think, Alora Ashley. I, I wear designer's clothes too because my father told me that I'll be the best dressed girl in town. And so I'm always saying, Papa, watch me fly, you know. I, I have four, four drawers of, of uh, scarves. Don't buy me as any more scarves, you know. I, I have so many. Anyway, I bought her the dress. I came home. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, I was crying, crying, crocodile tears. And I'm saying to myself, what's going on with me? I just bought Lindsay a dress so she could go to her dance. And then I came to the realization that I don't cry because Lindsay went to a dance. I cried because I never went to a dance. And that's the work I do. I hold your precious hand. And we're going to revisit your place, where you've been, what you have learned, and where are you now. And you become your own best parent to you. Because self-love is self-care. It's not narcissistic. Selfish people don't like themselves. I love that. In the, in the work that I've done with the therapist lately, it's this idea of thinking of those childhood wounds or the trauma that happened. And then she said, I, I want you to literally imagine yourself as a little girl. And for me, I had noticed that a lot of the anger that I have about my childhood has really manifested again in the last three years. And I couldn't figure out why I've done so much therapy and so much work. And I'm thinking, what is going on? And then one of my friends said, oh, you have a daughter. So my daughter is three. And all of a sudden I am seeing the world or I'm seeing how I care for her in a way that I was not cared for. And it's bringing up all of these feelings for me. And so the therapist said, I want you to literally imagine that your three-year-old self is here. And that you are giving her a hug, that you are making her dinner, that you are, you are treating her the way you treat your daughter, even if it's not something that you had. And as silly as it sounds, it has been so healing for me. Your little girl is crying mm -hmm. and she's telling you that she is not developed. Her brain is not developed yet and she needs a healthy, good mommy. Mm -hmm. an adult who can make decisions for her so she can just be a little girl. And that's why you come to me or your therapist. So you really look at yourself each day and ask yourself whatever you're doing, whether it's empowering you or depleting you, and uh, you truly become the healthy mother, the adult, for your three-year-old, and that's the best thing you can do so she can look at you and trust you, trust Absolutely. you. Children need to know that the world is a safe place. Mm. You need to be grounded. That's why it's so important for a mommy to be a healthy mommy to herself because you can't give 
what you don't have. Mm, that's so good. Well, I'm going to be your mommy now. <laughs> Not only that, I'm going to be your midwife. I'm going to be your midwife. You're pregnant and you're going to give birth to the you. <laughs> that pressure and you're going to hold that little girl and say, I wanted a little girl just like you. Mm. My parents didn't do that. I remember we had company one time and my mother asked me to go get some water. And then as I was leaving, I, I heard, oh, we could have saved that one. My mother didn't know that I heard that. But in Auschwitz, nothing came from the outside. See, the more you depend on externals, the more you wait for someone to make you happy, you're never going to be happy. Everything I- begins with you. Can I ask that you just said this idea of nothing comes from the outside in, in that, in that world that you were living in. And I feel like we are living right now in unprecedented times. We're inside of a global pandemic. And I feel like a lot of people are waiting for the answers to come from outside. They're waiting Mm -hmm. for someone to tell them they're waiting for life to go back to normal when there is no normal, everything is different and new. And so what would you say to people in that situation where they keep thinking, if enough time goes by, the doctors, the advice, you know, um, they're going to find answers. And I really believe you have to be able to find joy and peace and contentment and centeredness in every piece of your life, regardless of what is happening externally. You speak so beautifully, honey, that we are going through a very painful time because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow in Auschwitz. When we took a shower, we didn't know whether water or gas is going to come out. It's a very painful time. But I said to myself, if I survive today, tomorrow I'll be free. It's temporary. It's not permanent. So that's why I say, don't say yes, but. Yes, and I can have a closer relationship with my family. I can write up a constitution and have rules that there is no punishment. There is only consequence. You can do tremendous amount of, uh, of the time that can really change everything for you. But most of all, do not try to drink or smoke or get anything from the outside because the more dependency, the more depression you're going to have. Dependency breeds depression. Uh, you said when we first started talking about the new book, you said you asked two questions. The first is, when did your childhood yeah. end? What's the second? Thank you. Would you like to be married to you? I would love to be married to me, but I also really like myself. I don't know if other people want to be married to me, but I love me. So (laughs) it's a very good question. You don't need me at all. (laughs) But if you were taught to be sugar and spice and everything nice, the boy child is taught to become a somebody, a doctor, the lawyer, the whatever. And you are told, to find somebody because you're nobody until somebody loves you. 
that's not true at all. You are a somebody, you are a whole person, you can become a medical doctor, you can do now anything other than what you were taught and you're carrying those messages now. You don't have to follow those messages than you were told. You know, many times we carry things from generation to generation and we teach people what we have learned. And I asked you whether you teach your daughter the same thing you were taught, not to, not to become somebody, but to find somebody. It's funny when you said that, I actually asked myself, are there any situations where I am reinforcing for her that ideal that, you know, even, even idealizing romance or, or relationships or, which is so often, right? What, when I was a little girl, we played wedding, we played bride, we played princess waiting for the prince. There was not anything taught about who are you going to be? How are you going to show up? Are you going to be a good person? That was not a conversation that I had. And so I, there are things from my parents that are wonderful that I do want to instill in my children, but many, many parts of what I had in my childhood that I would never want my kids to have as a You lesson. know, I, if you're going to read uh, the gift, uh, I studied Latin, so I'm quoting something. My professor told me, that times are changing and we are changing with the times. So that's very important that the way it was in the Midwest uh, 30 years ago, people are stick waiting for the good old days that you can trust anybody, you can leave your door open. You know, I was robbed a couple months ago with all my jewelry. Someone said, that they want to fix my water and I let them in. So, yes, yes. Uh, so, so, so times are changing. It's very important to really acknowledge that what you practice, you're going to be good at that. Mm. And I like people to practice to talk to themselves because the way you think, that's how you're going to feel. You don't feel first and then think. You think your thoughts create your feelings. So got to think about your thinking. And the biggest prison is in your own mind. Because in Auschwitz, I learned how to really develop more my inner resources. And the more I suffered, the stronger I became. A survivor and not a victim. And it's temporary. And I can survive it. And here I am telling you. Never give up, never, ever, 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 ever listen to your enemies. You just uh, release them, let them go by, just like cars on a highway. Don't let them get to you. Don't, don't, you know, children are very good. They can push your buttons, mommy, Mm -hmm. especially when they start crying. Then you give them anything. I call it water power. Water power. Yeah, and you don't say no to a child ever. 
keep wishing with them. I wish I could give you all the cookies before dinner. Oh, I wish I could be a Rockefeller and and you just keep keep wishing with them that life could be exactly the way they would like to be. And and not to say yes but we're here, no yes but yes and and tell me more that that you would really not get into why because why because you can why, ask a why shouldn't we say no so i'd love to understand See, that. why because why is a past-oriented word a problem-oriented word why belongs to because why because well why this why not why this it's better to say what is going on and how we're going to move forward because my life is in the present i live in the present i never forget the past for sure i go forward so i say two things to think about your thinking and pay attention what you're paying attention to Try to ignore the bad behavior as much as you can. So if your little girl tells you the F word in the most elegant restaurant, <laughs> you don't have to grab her and, and you know, just uh, try to ignore it. Chances are she's learning what she can get by to get attention. Mm. Children want attention. Bad attention is better than no attention. Bad breath is better than no breath. So I think is you pay attention what you're paying attention to um, and look for something positive and reinforce that. I love that. It's, it's called positive reinforcement. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Don't say you... I'm pr proud of you. Say you must be proud of yourself. Mm, that's good. That your child doesn't have to perform for you. That's very good. That's a good reminder. So tell me, for the new book, it comes out in September. Is that right? Right. Uh, do you know what which day? 15th. Of... Okay, September, September 29th is my birthday. I know you said that. I actually have a book coming out on September 29th. So I was hoping we were going to be book book twins. Ah, so I'm the, so glad that you have your book out. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. the book, your the new book is called The Gift. And who yes. do you think that that book is for? Is it for everybody or is it for people who are going through something specific? Mostly people who are grieving and feeling and healing and my age comes very handy because i want to be called a grandma and a great grandma rather than dr edith eva eager and children listen to grandma more than they listen to their mother absolutely because they know i'm not smart i'm wise i agree i agree i well, want you to be wise wise um, Dr. Eager, I feel like all of us feel like you are our grandma today. So thank, thank you. you so much for taking the time to speak with us and to share your wisdom. I know I got so much out of the conversation and I'm sure that the listeners did as well. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you and God bless you. The Rachel Hollis podcast is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. Our show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with additional production support by Sterling Coates. Our executive producer is Cameron Berkman. 
The Rachel Hollis Podcast is a 3% Chance production.